0: That is why we have come here today to praise that great name of the Lord and <clears throat> what He has done in our lives, and I pray that you've come sharing testimonies and good things that have happened this last week. I want to uh, welcome you here in the sanctuary, welcome those listening in the venue, in our wiggle room, and many who listen online as well. Um, if you received a bulletin, you probably would have gotten one of these. This is a sticker that a local sticker, am I going through puberty there? Uh, a sticker. A sticker that uh, a local businessman here in our congregation, um, who wanted to remain anonymous, uh, put together and said, you know what, you guys got a great thing going on here, we can put these up, so you can peel that off, put it someplace where you will see it often, but more than you see it often, where someone else will want to see it often. Could be on a bumper sticker, could be in a window, could be at your desk at work. But um, yeah, so I'm so appreciative of him having that idea and wanting to share that with all of us here as a congregation. I'm also appreciative that, um, and very thankful that about three or four weeks ago, Many of you took the time to list some of the fears, and honestly, fears, honest fears that you are going through uh, here. It's helped me to be able to pray over them. I have a huge stack on my desk, Um, and just to pray for you, and also to see what things you are going through, so we can see how God's Word uh, addresses them. And I thought that I would just read a few of these to you. Again, these were turned in anonymously, but um, what are some of your biggest fears? Someone wrote, Not living up to God's expectations in my life. Another person wrote, I fear doing the wrong thing. I fear my marriage is failing. I fear I will never get married, as they've been dating for a number of years. And that has not been something, a priority of their uh, boyfriends. Another person wrote, I fear commitment. I fear not measuring up. I fear that I will not be wise enough to know when I have met the right partner to be married to. My greatest fear is that my inconsistency will eventually destroy me. I fear not being accepted. I fear spiders, bees, and creepy dolls. <laughs> the fear of letting people down, which leads to the fear of Commitment. I fear being vulnerable to opening my heart and to love because the person may leave me. You know, it's it's very telling, and it's why today I wanted to talk about the fear of commitment because, truthfully, as a culture and as a society, we've kind of entered into some of that where we are this um, gun shy type of culture who's lost that sense of commitment. It, it may come out in premarital nuptial agreements that people have. It may come to month-by-month leases that we have for apartments and such. Maybe uh, we play the career hopscotch game of, of jumping from uh, um, uh, job to job or career to career and having kind of an escape clause in our contract. We really are commitment-phobic in many ways In in our world, we like to kind of keep our options open. We don't want to be hemmed in. Um, If something comes along that looks a little bit better... We want to have that option to be able to do that. Maybe it's why we don't RSVP real well, or even if we do RSVP, it's kind of late, or think that we can break it whenever we want to do that. I know some people who won't sign up for the cell phone two-year plan on that, fearful that if they sign up the day they do, they'll see another advertisement that has a way better offer And then they can't break that commitment, or they can't get out of that without having to pay uh, through the nose for it. And and we live in this incredibly fast-paced society, and unfortunately, some of those consumer practices have bled over into areas that really do need commitment for us to be able to function, or they won't work, such as marriages Instead of getting married, we just decide, well, we'll live together, or or not wanting to put roots down in the community, and so maybe we'll just rent rather than buy. I have a good friend, I might have shared this in one of our services a few months ago, that uh, for years wouldn't put pictures up on the wall of his apartment. I'd walk in there many times and say, oh, still on the ground, huh, because his pictures were laying on the floor where they should have been up on the wall, but they were leaning down there. He, 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 he felt like if he put them up, that it would mean he's committed, and he was gun shy of that. He didn't want to do it. And I asked the question, why are we so afraid of commitment? What do we fear there? That putting roots down or saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, is, is a little scary. And I, and I think if we're honest about it, it may be that we, we have fears of commitment because we've been rejected when we've done that. And, and their fear of rejection was another, and that stack of, of fears that I have was high on that list. Um, uh, dozens of them saying, yes, I, I, I fear this kind of rejection because we put our heart and our soul into something, and then maybe it can become trashed. And so we're apprehensive about walking into whatever that is Another time, or maybe we've been let down by an authority figure, or maybe let down by a parent, or perhaps you were the one who let someone else down, and you know it, and it was hard for you to do that, and so you don't want to walk back out there and do that again. You're afraid to break a commitment again. You know, I look at Genesis chapter 3, and if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 3 and say, In this short Beginning of time, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2 to Genesis 3, already we see the first humans, Adam and Eve, they were the first commitment breakers. In fact, now I say the first humans because since the history of time, there was already someone who broke a commitment before that. If you read through Scripture, you'll see that Lucifer was actually the first one who broke his commitment And you'll see if you put pieces together of verses that that he was worshiping of God. And and at some point, I just have this imagery in my mind's eye that maybe he was on the front row, the one leading others in worship of God. And at some point in time, as these worship uh, praises were cast over the top of him, he stood up and he got it in his mind and he stood up and he said, no, those worship should be, that worship should be for me. And he decided to break his commitment with God. Decided not to serve God, and he took one-third of the angels with him. That's why we have an adversary like that. That's who Lucifer is. He was the first one who broke his commitment. And ever since, Satan is trying to get you and me to break our commitments as well. You know, Just a little side note on this, um, there's an interesting show that is now um, played on Fox. In fact, it premiered this last week. You may have heard about it, or hopefully you didn't see it. Hopefully you turned the channel if you did, but uh, it was a, co- a show called Lucifer. And it, and it deals with the devil, of course, as the lead character who, as the script goes, takes a vacation, abdicates his throne to someone else, and he flees to come to Los Angeles, opens up a nightclub there, um, and kind of plays an undercover detective as well, of all things. And um, I I didn't see the show, but I saw reviews of it, and I actually watched online uh, the opening kind of uh, segment for it. Um, And and what's really disturbing about it is that the, the Lucifer character is kind of played as this person who's kind of compassionate towards hurting people. And so there's a woman there who he kind of is counseling. And she's saying, oh, pull yourself together. It's all, it's all right. You're, you're wasting your talent. You're wasting your time. You can do better. And then there's a female uh, police officer who comes in from the LAPD. And he says, oh, you know what? Trust yourself. Ignore others. Just trust yourself. It'll be okay. So much so encouragement he's given to people that one of the demons comes to him and says, hey, humans are rubbing off on you. Stop caring. You're the devil, right? Remember that. And I look at that and I think, you know what, one reviewer wrote up that he was like a, the cast um, of Lucifer is like a charming high school friend. And I thought, um, if that's the only portrayal that people have of who Satan is, why wouldn't we kind of like him and enjoy him? That's what Mrs. Blurry talked about. We have a culture here that does not know God's word. And they need to know God's Word. You need to know what Scripture says about Satan. He is your greatest arch enemy. He wants the destruction and the ruin of you. His name means accuser. Scripture says out of John 8, he's a liar and the father of lies. It says that he is a murderer from the very beginning. It says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, you know the words, looking for someone to what? devour you. That's not good language. That's not charming language by any means. Satan is the greatest enemy that you will ever face. He's the god of this world. He's blinded the mind of unbelievers, it says in Second Corinthians. And every disaster that has fallen upon this world, every uh, 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 disease and disaster, every temptation you face, comes straight from him. You put all the horrible world leaders together—Hitler and Stalin, or Hitler and Stalin, uh, Osama bin Laden, the leaders of the ISIS group right now—you combine them all, and you have not even a fraction of what Satan wants to do to you. We wouldn't make some TV show about Hitler and say that he's like a charming high school friend. You need to be aware of this. And you need to be aware of the truth of what God's Word says about him and what he has done since the beginning of time. He has tried to drag you down ever since he got Adam and Eve to break their commitment. Uh, he is trying to get each of us to blow our commitment to God as well. In fact, look at the verses there. Genesis chapter 3. This is after the fall of man, after sin has entered in. It says in verse 8, And they, Adam and Eve, Heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why are they hiding? Because they're shameful. They broke their commitment. Verse 9 But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, I think God knew where they were. God's all knowing. But that's what kind of God we have. We have a God who still pursues us. We have a God who still loves us, who still comes along and even redeems us in the midst of tough and difficult times. Verse 10, and he said to them, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was, what did Adam and say? I was what? I was afraid. I was afraid. I I was fearful of what you would do. But here's the good news. And I just, it's hinted at there in verse 9. We have a God who comes to us. We have a God who does not break his commitment to us. We have a no fear God. We have a good news God who says, I am still committed to you. Even though you may break the commitment on your side of the relationship, I won't break it on my side. I'm committed to you. My question is do we then say, Thank you, Lord, and step back into a relationship with him? Or do we still go our own way and live in a lifestyle of, I'll do it my way instead of your way? And the verse there is out of uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 61. In fact, it's up here on the screen. It's in your outline. Either way, would you read this verse with me? Read it. But your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands. See, what really pains me when we see uh, how hard, is how hard Satan has attacked our commitment to relationships, to marriage, to dating relationships, to friendships that we have. In fact, if you want a backdoor to look at what God values most, look at what Satan attacks the most and ask why. He does it because he wants you to be put into isolation. He does it because he wants you to be separated. He doesn't want you to have close relationships within a marriage, within a family. If you want to play private eye, CSI kind of investigator here, you just ask why he's snooping around and attacking those commitments so much. It's because he wants us out of those commitments, out of friendships. He wants us in a sense of isolation that leads to fear. And so you have your outline. Let's just identify some of the areas where we have to say, okay, Have I got my life right in this area? Am I committed to these things that I know God is committed to? And the first one is this. Am I committed to a godly marriage and family? Am I committed to a godly marriage and family? Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I don't know a woman who would not submit to her husband when the husband would die for his wife and love his wife as Christ loved the church. They go together. But even if that is not the case for the husband to be able to do that, still the command there is, wives, submit to your husbands even though. Even though maybe they don't. But it follows to say, and husbands, you have this, you need to also love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a high calling. Won't be perfect. It's a high calling, but it's what we strive for. Verse 33 then says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Whenever a couple comes to me for um, premarital counseling, I do a number of weddings, I always start off by giving them what we call the premarriage marriage inventory. And um, it's a set of questions that we give online to them, and they take it, and it's sent off to the company, and then they send the email to me, and I look over it. And without exception, the area that is, they score the lowest on, especially for couples who have never been married, is the questions about marriage expectations, because we just don't know necessarily what to expect. I know I would have scored very low on that as well. I've seen what my parents' marriage was like. I, my wife has seen what her parents' marriage is like. But you never know how that's going to blend, how it's going to work together when you come together into a marriage. And so let me just share this. And I know that there are people from all different ages and all different aspects of, of married life in here. But let me just share this as a general principle. Marriage is not a, just a cruise cruise control drive. If you draw, uh, draw the analogy there with your marriage being like a car, it is not going to all just be in cruise control. There are times when you have to go off-road and shift into four-wheel drive. Am I talking to anybody here? Okay. We're there, right? Yeah. I, I mean, you talk to anybody just who's been married for a week, a day. Yeah you got to go four-wheel driving sometime. If you get married, you're going to have those off-road moments. Why? Because it's two people trying to give everything, but humanly having this fear of rejection, having fear of inferiority, having fears that we walk into marriages with. And marriage can reveal those. So married couples, I just want to ask and just make sure, have you committed to four-wheel driving when those times come up? Have you committed to saying, I'm going to stick this out? When things get a little dicey, when the car starts fishtailing, when you get a little bit stuck in the mud, you just get out and walk away? Or do you stay in it and rock that thing out so that you can get out of the mud? Your marriage is worth getting dirty over. Your marriage is worth it. And if you're not married, if you're not willing to make that kind of commitment, then don't get married. Very open and very honest about that when I counsel couples before they get married. In fact, I tell many of them. I said, when you're walking into marriage, keep your eyes wide open. Wide open. And then when you get in, shut them halfway. (laughs) Because you don't want to be picking on everything. You married it. You're into it. Now you go. Now you make it work. See, what separates great marriages from just kind of mediocre marriages is that ability to go four-wheeling, crash through barriers, and get back up on the road doing it God's way. Because you will always get off-road at some point in some time. In fact, I, I share that with the couples who I marry. I share it right on the marriage day many times, right here in the wedding, where you got, you know, you got the Bride, she comes through that door and she is looking good. And you got the groom there, and he's crying and emotional. And you got all these bridesmaids that are up here on one side. You got these groom. They all look great on that wedding day, don't they? And I tell them that. I say, you guys look great, but it's not always going to be this way. And I look at the bride and I look at the groom and I say, I say, I say, now think of him waking up thirty years from now, receding hairline and a pot belly going on there. You still going to be committed to him? I said, think of her not looking quite as good as she does here today. I said, she looks great today, wedding day. You always look good on your wedding day. Are you still going to be committed? Because it's not about emotions. It's not about feelings. It's about commitment. It's about committing all the way through. And so let me just encourage you, if you are married here, keep the date nights. Keep the communication over. Plan vacations together. Keep your commitment not to others. Don't let work interfere. Commit to one another. In fact, for some of you, what would it look like if you put as much energy into your marriage as you did into your work? Or what if you were trying to please your boss? What if you pleased your wife in that way? We need to take those kind of steps. And with family as well. Have a commitment to raising a godly family. Whether you have one now, some of you may be uh, grandparents, and maybe you can be encouraging of your kids or your grandkids even, uh, or if you'll have a family in the future. I trust there's a commitment to family and that that is also a, a priority. And parents, let me remind you, so much more is caught than taught. Okay? We might like to say that that you need to do this and this and this, but our kids catch so much more by what we do rather than what we say. My son, um, a number of years ago, when he was, I don't know, three or four years old, he would, he would have this kind of this mean, scrunched up look on his face that, that was like, where, where did you get that kind of a face look for him? And then I realized, after I saw a video when I was talking to my son, I make the same look. He's just mocking or mirroring what he sees in me. So much more is caught than taught. Look at the verse there out of uh, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents, is in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the way he wants it to. You know, I, I said this principle so much more is caught than taught. Um, Our daughter is almost driving nowadays. Uh, she's 15. Um, uh, she'll get her permit in a few months. Uh, and, and so now I have to be careful of how I drive, um, which is an interesting thought because I should not always be careful of how I drive, but now extra careful, right? Because they're looking how fast you're going, how slow you're going. Uh, There's a time my wife and I were, were um, laughing at this the other day where um, when the kids were just like three years and five years or something like that, Carrie had the kids in her car and she was driving down the freeway and she got behind a car that was going you know, like like uh, dangerously slow, right? Have you ever been behind one of those kind of cars, right? And, um, and and my wife just kind of flippantly, she doesn't say this anymore, she doesn't do this anymore, okay, just to let her off the hook, but this was about a decade ago. She just flippantly said, oh, Grandpa, you know, so, some comment like that. Then she stepped on the gas, and she kind of passed them up, and as she's passing them, my son is looking at the car, and he's saying, Mommy, that's not Grandpa, and then my daughter chimes in fr- uh, from the back, you've been making that mistake a lot lately, Mom. <laughs> they catch it, don't they? They catch it. When we don't want them to catch it, they catch it. And so there's a, there's a, there's a principle here, though. Talk with your kids. Spend time with them. Relate with them. Not just moments where you're trying to teach them, but all throughout life. And if you will talk to your kids when they're four months old or when they're four years old, then your kids will talk to you when they're 14 years old or they're 24 years old, which is what you want. Are you committed, though? Are you committed to a godly marriage And raising a godly family. Let me give you a second area of commitment that I just want to address a little bit here. And that is, are you committed to a godly dating relationship? If you're not married. If you're in the dating years or, or building up towards being married. Are you committing that to God? Consider, again, dating life like driving a car. And if marriage is going to be some off-road experiences, not be cruise control, we better both agree on the destination that this car is going. Right? In fact, the question that one of the best questions you can ask is who's in the driver's seat of the person you're dating? Are they driving the car? Or is Jesus driving that car? Because if they're driving it, they're going to end up probably someplace other than where you want to end up. But if you're both in the car and you're both allowing Jesus to drive that car, then there's the destination. You know where you're going. You know the pace at where you're going as well. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with Darkness. I shared this picture a number of months ago about being yoked. Paul addresses this. Jesus talks about it as well. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, being yoked to the Holy Spirit. But Paul says, you know, if you're going to be yoked, and that's a yoke over here, and, and uh, there's some oxen that are kind of, th- that yoke is designed to help two people go the same direction, but also the same pace. And if you're dating right now, you need to make sure you're going that same direction, but also the same pace. A number of years ago, I was in Hawaii and actually went out on an outrigger, one of those boats. I have a picture of it here where I'm the third one from the bottom, in case you hadn't noticed who I am there. Um, just joking, uh, and, and you can see on one uh, people are, are are steering with the oars on one side, and then there's others who are on the other side, and, and they alternate those because that's the way that the boat can uh, the ship can go together. The outrigger there can can kind of work together as one side's pushing, the other side's pushing. You know, it only takes one person to ruin that speed of what that boat can go, or even the direction of where that boat's going to go. In fact, if you consider dating. Like being two people in a boat trying to row the same way. The distant, the, the 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 problem with going in a straight line, years and years and years down the road, and ending up going in circles, is just one person not rowing how they should. If you're dating, you want to keep your eyes wide open to that. You want to say, is this someone who I can walk through the rest of life? with are you committed to doing it god's way because we could have people come up here and share testimonies after testimonies after testimonies testimonies who've said i did it wrong i did it wrong here's what i learned from here's what i learned from and we want to save you from that If today you're dating someone you need to look look yourself in the mirror and then look at them and say do i want to be with them for the rest of my life are they bringing me up or are they taking me down and, and let me remind you, stick with your standards of being equally yoked. I've seen this happen way too many times, specifically with, with the female side of things. Females, you'll say, you know what, I, I'm going to follow God uh, in this. I'm going to be equally yoked. Um, and then your biological clock starts to tick. And the standards go from my man has to be a true Christian, a true Christ follower, and it segues into, well, if he shaves and wears pants and doesn't live with mama, he'll be okay. Am I right? Don't don't settle. Do not settle. You, You can't change him. You can't change her. Don't say, oh, they'll just come around. It'll be okay. No. Put your standards up high. Pray for that. Be committed to that. Godly marriage, godly family, godly Godly dating relationships. Let me give you a a, a third one. It's on the back part of your outline, and that's this. Are you committed to a relationship with God? Are you even committed to that relationship? Because like Adam and Eve, we might feel like we blew it. We blew our commitment with God, and so we say, well, now what? Now what does God do with me? What does God think of me? Um. Let me take you to John chapter 21 for just a second. John chapter 21, let me set it up by, by talking about John chapter 13. Because in John chapter 13, Peter uh, is saying, this is at the night where before Jesus was crucified, he's saying, Jesus, I am committed to you. I am following you all the days of my life. Jesus, I would die for you. But Jesus looks back at, at Peter in John 13 and says, Peter, I, I love your heart. I love where that's going, but let me be real honest with you. You won't stay committed to me throughout the night. In fact, you're going to do the first three, Pete, three denials of me. Peter, it's just going to happen. And who can forget this chilling depiction uh, that Mel Gibson gives in this scene from The Passion of the Christ? As Jesus is beaten and he's drug into the courtyard ready to be crucified, and... um, Peter becomes very fearful in this moment, right? He's accused three times of being a Jesus follower, and yet three times he denies that he even knew him. He's fearful of bodily harm. He's fearful of his future. He's fearful for his life, and Peter caves in. And then Jesus, Mel Gibson kind of depicts this, gives him this look. And Peter realizes what he's just done. And I don't think it's a look so much as condemnation, as a look of saying, Peter, I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you. Don't let fear keep you from acknowledging me. Don't let fear do that. If you're committed to me, you're committed to me. And and let me just say this. Some of you today are, are here and you would say that you're a Christian. You would say you profess Him as Lord and Savior. But you heard Pastor Derek talk about baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, why not? Is it, is it a fear of commitment? What, what is it? Is it a fear of acknowledging Christ before others? Maybe you just didn't know. That's fine. That's why we want to help you take that step. Because what baptism is, is it's an outward demonstration of an inward faith. And scripture tells us to be baptized, to get to unify with Christ in that way. And so today, right after this service, if you just want to come right through these doors and there's a stairway right up the top and Pastor Derek will meet with you. Um, It'll be about half hour, maybe 45 minutes at the most, just talking about what baptism is. You can learn about it. You're not totally committed to doing that yet. But if you have not been baptized and you'd say, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, you've not been baptized, now's your chance. And the other wonderful thing about this is it's going to be done in two weeks from now, which happens to be February 14th, Valentine's Day. And why not? On the day when we talk about love, 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 get to profess your love for Christ on that day. I encourage you to take that step. See, as fearful as Peter was on on the night that we just saw, he faced his fear and then he became one of the most outspoken followers of Jesus Christ that this world has ever known. And after Jesus showed him, this is where the uh, John 21 chapter comes in, after Jesus shows him how committed that he is to Peter. Because remember the story where Jesus comes after he rose from the dead and um, reinstates him three times, one time for each of the denials, said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And that whole passage, that's a whole message done right there. But basically what Jesus is saying is he's saying, Peter, Peter. Even though you didn't stick with your commitment, I'm sticking my commitment onto you. You know you have it. I am there for you. And because of that, Peter was drawn up. He was risen up and became one of the people to help turn this world upside down. He faced his fears. He didn't run from them. He faced them. He said, Lord, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. And his life showed it for the rest of his life. Even to death, Peter was not fearful anymore. He was committed. So here's my question. Where do you need to be more committed in your life? Maybe you're a Christian and have not been baptized. I encourage you to do that and talk about that and in two weeks get baptized. Maybe you're not even a Christian yet. Today would be the day. To say, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. I know I need to do that. I've been hearing about it enough. Today I want to make sure that I'm a Christ follower. Maybe you are a Christ follower, but you haven't been living up to a godly marriage, or, or you know the person you're dating is not right for you. Or maybe it is, and maybe you need to take the next step with your relationship if you know this is the one that to would be married to. I don't know what it is, but we all have commitments to make. I just want you to know, God went all in for you. And when he did, he asked for you to be all in for him. I pray whatever the Holy Spirit's laying on your heart, you'll take that step this week. Let's pray. God, we just want to listen to what your Holy Spirit is saying to us now. Each of us has an area, I'm sure, where we have not been living up to our commitment that we should be making. Whether it be in marriage. Whether it be in personal integrity. Whether it be to our family. Whether it be to our work. Whether it be to a friendship. Lord we, um, we fall short. We know that. Specifically in our relationship with you. We know how short we can fall. And yet God I, I thank you. That you are a God who always keeps his commitment. You're a God who's always there for us. Seeking us out. Redeeming us. Loving us. Challenging us to take the higher step. The higher ground. God, you never let us go. Never let us go. Folks, if you're here today and you have not made a commitment to Christ. In your heart. Even right now, if you'd say those words, Jesus Christ, today I receive you as my Lord. I ask for forgiveness. I want to follow you now. I want my ways to be following in your ways. Jesus, would you come into my life? That's where it begins. And if you made that commitment, even said that prayer right now, I challenge you to come talk to me after the service is over, to the friend who brought you or or out in our Next Step Center. We have some information that we just want to help you take that next step to affirm that. For those of you who have not been baptized today, I pray that you would take that step of saying, what am I waiting for? God went all in for me. I need to go all in for him. God, thank you for being there for us. Even when we go our own path, walk our own way, thank you for being there for us. We love you. We worship you. We're your children. Thank you for being our eternal Father. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.